This morning, our scripture reading is found in Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. It can be found in page 41 in your pew Bible. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, she answered, Go. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. So loved singing that with you about being a child of God. Um, Harkening back to last week when we talked about how the universe that we know of is at least 92 billion light years in diameter. Uh, we talked about how if the Milky Way galaxy were the size of North America, our particular solar system would fit in a coffee cup. And yet, I am a child of God, and I have that relationship with him. We are remarkably blessed people. Well, Tony Campolo is a great Christian speaker, and his wife Peggy is also a great speaker, and she is well-educated, highly professional, But there was a phase in her life where she decided to become a full-time mom, stay-at-home mom, which some surveys show is like having 2.5 jobs, by the way. But she got really tired of going to parties with her husband, Tony, and meeting people she didn't know, and they would always get to the point of asking, and what do you do? And this highly educated, highly professional woman would say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And she said sometimes she would get these oh. Just kind of almost, come on, you know, almost degrading, like, oh, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom. Okay, bless your heart. She got tired of that, and she went home and thought, I need to think of a better reply. So a few weeks later, they were at a get-together, a big party gathering, and someone, of course, came up and started to talk immediately about uh, how he was this amazing lawyer in town, and then, of course, he turned to her and said, and what do you do? And she said... I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And she turned to him and said, and what do you do again? I'm a lawyer. So, I want to talk this morning about a mother who was quite amazing, and she was the mother of the major figure of the Old Testament. 
She's mentioned only a few times in the Bible, but despite her low profile, she really is an amazing example of faith. She even made it to the Hall of Fame, the heroes of the faith that you find in Hebrews chapter 11. In Numbers chapter 26, you find her name. It's Jochebed, Jochebed, the mother of Moses. I've always liked this uh, 19th century painting of a Jochebed as she's about to do what Amy just read about a little while ago. She was Moses' mother, and scholars comment a lot on her love and her courage that she took, up, took on to protect her son. And I love how one commentator put it. He said, with her cunning and with her courage, Jochebed displays her love and her nurture of Moses by being an effective steward of time. The time she took to plan for his protection and the time she took in Pharaoh's house to raise him in the faith. It reminds me of how all good spiritual mentors, all good spiritual nurturers, and I'm talking not just about mothers, but fathers and teachers and ministers and all manner of mentors, that we've got to be willing to take the time that we need in order to bring up those who are younger than us in what the Bible says is the nurture and discipline of the Lord. And to do that takes courage and good planning, and it takes trust in God. Well, first of all, what kind of faith does it take to nurture others in the faith? Well, it takes courage. Now, the nation of Israel had been a part of Egypt now for 400 years, and the Hebrews were prospering. Uh, they, were very, uh, uh, they were just increasing in number incredibly to the point that they became a threat to that Pharaoh. And so what did Pharaoh do? He put them into slavery, hoping that would break their spirits. Well, they wound up uh, prospering and growing all the more. And so he commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill every male infant as that infant was being born. And the Hebrew midwives refused to do that. They obeyed God rather than a man in that case. So he spoke to his fellow Egyptians and said, if you ever come across a male infant who is Hebrew, who is Jewish, you are commanded by me to throw that baby into the Nile and watch him drown. So this really was a reign of terror, and it was during that reign of terror that Jochebed became pregnant with her third child. Now, she need not worry about her older children, Aaron and Miriam, but here she was pregnant with this new child that could well be a boy, and what to do about this? I mean, this child was in grave danger. And Jochebed and her husband took the time to protect him, do whatever they had to do to protect him. In fact, you see that in Hebrews eleven twenty three, as they talk about Jochebed as a hero of the faith as well as her husband. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. They disobeyed a king and hid Moses for three months. Now, that takes courage. It takes courage, no doubt. And, and how do you hide a baby for three months anyway? Think about that. Because babies do just a few things. One thing they do a lot is cry. And how do you, how do, you do that? I'm amazed that they were able to do that. You know, uh, my, our oldest, Hannah, uh, when she was born, and she still is, she's the one introvert in our family, and she just kind of hangs back and checks things out. And that's what she did as a baby. She just kind of hang back in the background and just kind of look at everything very mellow. Everything was good. Then Nicholas came along. Nicholas, um, how many of y'all have had a kid that had colic? Woohoo! Yes! Gotta love the colic. 
And can I just say, whoever invented Milocon drops is making a lot of money at the expense of everyone else because they don't do anything. Milocon drops do nothing. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, thank you. Whoever invented, I just want to, well, anyway. You know, they hid this baby for three, I wanted to hide Nicholas for those three months of colic, but that's a whole other thing. Still to this day, when he gives us grief for anything, we remind him of those three months that I don't even remember. But they took the time, had the courage to protect their infant Moses, and, you know, we're, we're, we're clever about it, as we will see. But it challenges you and me as we nurture others. And I want to look at a particular area, and that is having the courage to carve out time to mentor someone else, to nurture someone else. You know, you might not have to protect someone from an evil empire, but it would be great if you could invest even more time in nurturing someone in the faith, whether it's someone in your family or someone here at the church, someone you know in the neighborhood, wherever it might be, to have some quality time with them. Now, many years ago, and I think the person's in this room, so I'm not going to embarrass them, but years ago, when Deanna and I, I think it was when Deanna and I first started coming here, we sat in uh, on some session with a Brookwood member here about uh, raising kids. And someone asked this person, well, well how, do you, how do you do, how, how do you have quality time with your kids? What do you do for quality time with your kids? And, and to this day, we still remember it. Uh, this person said, you know the key to quality time? It's quantity time. <laughs> I thought that was right. Quality time is quantity time. That's how you show to yourself and to whoever it is you're nurturing, whoever it is you're mentoring, that quality time is important. And we have great examples of people like that right here. Uh, I was talking in the first service, too, about uh, Ralph and Kathleen Garth at our sister church, True Vine, and how amazing they are. They will drop everything to minister to those folks over there, those who are down and out, those who are are uh, you know tripping on whatever drug it might be, those who are battling the addiction of alcohol, whatever it might be. It's amazing how they will just drop whatever they've got going on and take the time out to mentor this person along with such long-suffering, to use an old biblical word. It's, it's just amazing. Uh, I think of Gil Franks, and, and let's do be remembering Gil and Vicki Franks today, and they're not here this morning, but I, I remember uh, Deanna went over recently and asked them, you know, what can we pray for? And she just said, pray for us on Mother's Day. For those of you who don't know, they lost their uh, son in an auto accident recently. So let's be remembering them. But as you know, Gil uh, has this marvelous ministry to inmates who are about to be released from prison. And, and I said, what's the core of your training? <laughs> he said, just showing up. He said, man, if people will just show up, it's amazing for these people. There will be those moments, those kairos moments where, where you can be a mentor to that person. But otherwise, just be with them, be available for them. That's what you do most of the time. And I think that's helpful for you and me to know. Sometimes when we feel like we're supposed to be nurturing a certain person in the faith for whatever reason, it's almost like we sometimes feel like we have to have some spiritual formula for that and have some divine you know, pep talks uh, ready and on hand. But it really didn't have to be that way. The main thing you do is show up. One of my former students is, is Stephen Ingram, someone I'm very proud of. He uh, was a religion major at Sanford. He is now one of the leading uh, spokesmen on uh, youth ministry in America, recently wrote or- Organic Student Ministry, which is a highly influential book. Uh, in American churches. Could, couldn't be proud, prouder of him, but he spoke in my class two weeks ago, and he talked a lot about how there's this misunderstanding among adults who are wanting to mentor youth. 
And he said, don't feel like you've got to be this guru sitting on a hill passing down all of this divine wisdom all the time or giving spiritual pep talks. Just be there. Just be there with them. And you will know when, when you need to, to assume more of a, of a mentor mantle, but mainly just, just be there. And I even said, I remember saying, well, Stephen, it's almost like I hear this phrase a lot. You know, we talk a lot about pouring into someone. And I said, sometimes when we talk about pouring into someone, it could connote this image of somebody up here who's pouring down into someone down here, which really puts a lot of pressure on the, on the pourer up here. I said, it's kind of like pouring into someone. And, I said, and he said, yeah, it's not pouring. He, he, he's a youth man. He said, man, it's not pouring, man. It's floating. You just float with them. And he said, it, it's osmosis, man. <laughs> so he went on with the man and said man a lot. But he's right. You just float with them, hang out with them, be their friend. And you will know those moments, those kairos moments when, when you know, okay, I need to step up and offer some thoughts, some wisdom, some insight here based on my own failures, based on my own experience. You know, it, it, it makes me think of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. What does it say? Did he just immediately go prophesy to the people who were in Babylonian captivity? No, it says, I went and I sat where they sat. And he did it for a long time, and only a good time later was the moment right for him to, to begin to prophesy on their behalf during that time of captivity. Well, that's the way it is. You just kind of hang with folks that you mentor most of the time, and it is. It's osmosis. It's floating with them but waiting for the right moment. And this applies, gosh, to, to grandparents and parents and mentors and teachers and ministers, Sunday school people, um, community uh, leaders, small group leaders. Just has the courage to give up some time for some other people. Is there somebody even now that God might be leading you to to spend some quality time, but that means you've got to carve out some quantity time. Really, quantity time is quality time. But there's a second aspect to taking time to nurture someone. It takes sensible faith as well. Jochebed did not love and nurture her son just for protection or through protecting him, but through good planning. She was strategic and sensible in the way that she created a way for her son. What does she do? She takes a wicker basket and does what? Covers it with tar and pitch so it'll float, places the baby in there, puts it in the reeds of the banks along the Nile. But it wasn't like she just said, okay, Moses, good luck, and you know, sends him on his way. No, she placed her daughter, Moses' sister, uh, along the riverbank to make sure that he would be found at this place where they knew at the riverbank there were women who congregated. And so she was watching for that and made sure that he was found. And by the way, if Jacobet had been the one kind of spying on what was going on and she was found, the jig would have been up. They would have known, oh, this is the mother here. But no, it was the daughter. They set this up, and it was quite cunning, actually. And, and so, you know, Moses' sister was a very good spy. And so she was discovered, uh, this woman discovered uh, Moses at the Nile, Pharaoh's daughter comes along, and immediately, just at the right moment, the sister springs into action and goes over and says, ma'am, if you want me to, I'll find a Hebrew woman to nurse him and be the wet nurse. She's like, yes, go do that, and it all fell into place because she went back and said, mom, go be the wet nurse, and everything worked out. She was very sensible in her planning, and it takes courage to carve out time to someone you know, for someone that you want to mentor, but it also takes good planning. Yeah, I mean, creating opportunities that seem like um, effortless and, and serendipitous moments, but you might kind of plan it out. Yeah, plan a way to get with them. Did any of y'all, how many of y'all came to this uh, Fifth Sunday Fellowship we had with the brunch where the He-Men did that incredible cooking? How many of y'all were there? Were any of y'all there? It's just amazing. Do you remember how we sat? It was color-coded. 
It, it was fun because, it, you know, at this table you had like two orange placemats, and the orange placemats were for people who were 60 or older, and then there were some blue placemats, and they met, might have been for people who were 30 or younger. And it went around like that, and it was just really cool because it was like this fruit basket turnover, and you wound up sitting with people oftentimes that you hadn't met. And I got all this great feedback from you guys saying, that was so cool. You know, that person's in the first service, and I never really got to know that person. That was great. And it just went on and on. I just got great feedback about that well that was planned by Jim Giffen and Rosanna basically and uh, I thought that was a great cunning plan to where we got to be all the more community together well I recently learned about another effective nurturer who was very strategic in planning does, does this person look familiar anybody you might know who that is did you see her during the NCAA tournament okay First time in 33 years, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers got to the NCAA basketball tournament, and out of 66 teams, and I was corrected by Will Phillips on this, because the press release I was reading was when they made it to the Elite Eight. They didn't just make it to the Elite Eight, they made it to what? Anybody know? Well, it's on her cap there, for Pete's sake, and I didn't even... They made it to what? Final Four. I mean, this is a small school, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers. And thank you, Will Phillips, by the way, for correcting me on that. He was listening. You know, how old is Will? 13. 13. He's listening to the preacher. I love that. He's listening to when I mess up. But anyway, uh, and her name is, it's great. Her name is Sister Jean Dolores Schmidt. She's 98 years old. Feisty woman, but just wonderful. And she's the official team chaplain and spiritual mom of this team. And it's great. And this article that I read before the Final Four described her this way. She asks for God's protection for the players. She asks for the referees to call fouls justly. She asks that the Ramblers execute the plays the way they were intended. The prayers are anything but bipartisan. She was quoted as saying, I ask God to be especially good to Loyola so that at the end of the game, the scoreboard indicates a big W for us. That's not the best of theology, but you understand, I mean, her heart with that. And after each game, she sends these notes of congratulations and encouragement both to the coach and to the players. And it's really cool because she's also known for strategically finding ways to make a contact, particularly with a ball player on the team who might be going through a difficult time. Either they've hit a slump and they're not playing as well, whether the team wins or not. They've hit a slump, they're not playing well, there's something bad going on back home for them. And she just gets fed that by different people and finds out about it and finds excuses either to write them a note or to give them a call and just say, I was just thinking about you. And she does that on a regular basis, carving out this time for the ball players. And I read about one, one of the seniors that was on this team that went to the Final Four, Dante Ingram, really good player, uh, said this, there, there have been days throughout my last four years when I had a really bad game or I was really, really down about something. And we could win the game, but I'd still be down or we might have lost Regardless, I, was, I would be down about something going on in my life. But she always found a way to make me feel better. She's like a spiritual mom to me. That's cool. And she just strategizes how she can make these contacts. A great nurturer. Well, there's one more thing that makes an effective nurturer, and that's a providential faith. Now, now we don't do this in our culture, and it's kind of hard to understand in ancient culture, but it was standard procedure for a wealthy woman to hire a wet nurse Uh, to feed a child until he was weaned. And the wet nurse would actually be the legal guardian of that child until the child was weaned. 
So at just the right time, you know, Moses' sister goes up and says, hey, I know someone who'd be a great wet nurse for this little kid named Moses. And, and, uh, and she said, well, sure, yeah, go find her. And so she, she goes back to Jochebed, Moses' mother. And, and it's great. Not only does she get to raise her child during his formative years, but, but now she was being paid for it. The thing I'm saying is there's no doubt God had a hand in this crazy story. God no doubt had a hand in it. I mean, Jochebed is an amazing woman courageous woman clever woman but she couldn't have done all this on her own you know i think it's cool that pharaoh's chosen instrument of death which was the nile river becomes what actually saves moses and he was reunited with his mother she had plenty of time to raise him and nurture him in the faith during his formative years she could talk to him about uh, the god of abraham and the god of isaac and the god of jacob and what's cool is finally when he was weaned she released him over to uh, pharaoh's daughter but what's cool about that is what does it say and it actually talks about this in acts chapter 7 uh, Moses winds up growing up in Pharaoh's court and being educated in Pharaoh's court. So what did he learn while he was at that school? He learned these subjects which were taught in Pharaoh's court in ancient Egypt. Law, rhetoric, mathematics, hieroglyphics, and even the art of war. Isn't it amazing because years later, Moses led thousands of people through a desert putting all of these disciplines to work, with the exception probably of hieroglyphics. But all these others applied to what he did later to lead these people. Just amazing. God had to have a hand in all that. Can't say that he didn't. Let me just close with this. I, th- I think it's interesting how everybody saw something in this story. The word saw comes along over and over. They saw something. And, and, and all the nurturers in this story. Uh, Jacob had saw that Moses was beautiful. Pharaoh's daughter saw that Moses was a baby in a basket, and she saw the child crying and had pity on him. Moses' sister stood and saw what was taking place and acted at the right moment. And all of this foreshadows what God does soon thereafter. Later on in chapter 2, it says God saw the, the needs of the people. He heard the cries of the people, but then it said he saw, he took notice. Same word there of what was going on with the Israelites as they were in bondage. Later in chapter 3, what is it? God saw Moses when he moved to the burning bush that was not consumed. So God really is the ultimate nurturer in this whole story, the ultimate deliverer too, as you well know. He saw the Israelites' need. God saw their need. And what's cool is he sees our need, does he not? This wonderful song from a number of years ago, he looked beyond my sin and saw my need. And he sent his son to be available for us, giving us all the quantity time we possibly could. What we did to him was (laughs) unjustified, but he carried out this providential plan that his father had on our behalf, that we would be protected, you know, that we would be released, that we would be set free, that we could be protected from the ravages, ultimate ravages of sin and separation from God. And he did so by doing what? By having his body broken, shedding his blood. And so the least we can do as we take time at this table is to remember what he did for us by setting us free. So let's pray together for a moment. As we prepare ourselves, O God, for the table, we thank you that you have been so nurturing toward us. Why, we cannot fathom. Amid this massive, vast universe 
you care enough that we would be your children. You care enough that we would have not just relationship with you here, but beyond here. And at the same time, we can revel in this good life that we have here, remembering that we're not just saved from something, we're saved to something even now. And we can revel in that, celebrate that, relish it as your body, the church. Amazing love, what can it be that you would die for us? And yet, that's just what you did. We thank you that we continue to grow in grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus who gave us simply the opportunity to have relationship with you, that you could continue to mentor us, guide us, nurture us. So as we engage now, O God, in this meal, as we come forward in just a moment, may we do so with full hearts, thanking you for parenting us along. We pray these things in your name. Amen.